Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten several text messages and emails from people, friends and staff members, and just people from our church who have said, we're praying for you and we're behind you. And that has just meant so much to me. It has been the most humbling, honoring uh, thing I can remember going through in my life. And so I just want to thank you uh, for that. Uh, one of the questions I've been getting a lot in the last few weeks is, okay, if you're moving into the senior pastor role, then who's going to be moving into the teaching pastor role that I'm currently in? And I want you to know that we have been trying to answer that question for several years. In fact, every year around spring break, our family piles into the minivan and we drive someplace warm just to try to get out of the cold weather for a while. And this past year, we drove down to Texas. And on the car ride down and back, I listened to 16 sermons. My daughter had a meltdown about an hour from the Twin Cities. She was like, I cannot listen to another sermon. So I'm torturing my kids to try to answer this question of who's going to be the next teaching pastor. And as we went through this process, there was about seven of us that gathered in a room multiple times. And I would guess that we watched about 150 speakers. And you think about a half hour, 45 minute message, that's a lot of man hours. And as we got into the process, it soon became apparent that God was doing something different. That the model of a senior pastor and one teaching pastor may not be the door that God was opening up for us. And so we started to explore other options. And one of the options that we've landed upon is more of a team teaching kind of approach. So here's how it's going to work. You're going to see me speak the most often. And then the second most often, you're going to see Ryan Leak. Here's a picture of Ryan. He spoke at our church a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Ryan is in a very unique situation. He lives down in Dallas, but he is from this area for college. And so he's agreed to come up and speak about 10 or 12 times next year. And he loves our church, knows our church, and is extremely excited uh, to be a part of what God is doing here. I think he's one of the most gifted communicators in the country. I really believe that. And when he spoke at our church a couple of weeks ago, I had so many people emailing me, posting on social media. They're like, hire that guy. And I'm like, we're trying, okay? We're working on it. So we feel very fortunate to have Ryan a part of this next year. And then as we did this search, we started to realize that we have people on staff that were better than anything we were seeing around the country. And so John Alexander has been speaking at our church for several years and doing a handful of messages every year, and he will continue to do that. One of the things that I love about John is his character. I was just talking to him a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm coming back from this prayer retreat in Colorado. I was like, I should probably do something like that. <laughs> I said, did you know someone there? He said, no, I just want to do this for my own growth. And that just comes out in his messages as he speaks. And then on Labor Day, we invited our high school teaching pastor, Brandon Gilliam, to speak. And Brandon is just so comfortable as a communicator. He's easy to listen to. He's humorous. He loves God's word. And so we've invited him to be a part of it a handful of times this next year as well. So to kind of summarize, you'll see me the most, you'll see Ryan the second most, and then you'll see John and Brandon for a handful of times as well. And that's for this next year as Bob will be here until March, and then we'll kind of move into this new season. But I couldn't be more excited to see where God is leading and how God's providing for our church. All right, today we are in the second week of a series called Make a Difference. When I talk to people and I ask them, what do you want from your life? Almost every single person says the same thing to me. They say, oh, I just want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. 
I want to make a difference. The question is, how do we do that? Many people think in order to do that, they got to do something big. So they got to quit their job. They've got to start a nonprofit, something like that. But what if the way to make a real difference in this world isn't just by doing something big, but it's by doing something small on a repeated basis? So last week, Bob, our senior pastor, said that if you would save a portion of your paycheck, over time, that would make a big financial difference in your life. Today, I want to make the case that if you would give a portion of your paycheck, that would make a big difference in someone else's life. About a month ago, I was sitting at a stoplight, and all of a sudden, wham, I got rear-ended. And this was not like a tap. This was a snap-your-neck-back-what-in-the-world-just-happened kind of rear-ending. So I got out of the car, and the person who had hit me was a 16-year-old girl. And I felt so bad for her because you could tell she was really shook up. She was kind of shaking, and she took a look at my bumper, which was completely cracked all the way through, and she said, it's not so bad. It's no big deal. Let's just go. We're going to be fine. We're fine. I said, well, you know, actually, that's going to cost me a, quite a bit of money to replace that bumper. I'm, saying, I'm sorry. We've got to go over to this gas station exchange information. She goes, oh, my dad's going to kill me. And I looked over at her car, which was a Lexus, and it was smashed up more than my car was. And in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd be pretty ticked if I were him. But I didn't say that to her. I said, no, no, your dad's going to be fine. She said, this is the second accident I've gotten in in 10 months. I said, yeah, you're toast. So we went over to this gas station to exchange information, and her friend was sitting in the passenger seat, and her friend was still on the phone, which I kind of got a kick out of, because this was a you know, fairly major accident. She's just kind of talking away. And so all of a sudden, the driver goes, get off the phone. I got to call my dad. So she's like, okay, bye. I got to go. You know, and she hangs up, and she looks over at me, and it's like she notices me for the first time. And so she goes, Eagle Brook. She's like, you're Jason, I love you. I was talking to my wife afterwards and telling her about this, and she said, I hope you were nice prior to this. I said, thankfully, I had been very nice. But I turned to the driver, and I said, you know, you could have hit thousands of different people tonight, but you happened to hit one of the pastors at Eagle Brook Church. I said, God is going to use this in your life. And I was kind of kidding, kind of not, but she looked at me dead serious, and she goes, I'm going to start coming to church. <laughs> and her friend just jumped in. Her friend's like, 4 o'clock at Anoka. I'm there every week. You can come with me. And I just love that. She was using this as an evangelistic opportunity, you know, to reach her friend for Christ. And so I turned to the driver before I left, and I just said, hey, can I, can I pray for you? And she kind of nodded, and so I put my hand out towards her shoulder, and she said, can I have a hug? So I gave her a hug, and I prayed for her, and here's what I prayed. And this is going to sound a little bit churchy, but this is really what I prayed. I said, Lord, it's just a car. It's just a car. It may feel really important to us right now, but in the grand scheme of eternity, it really doesn't matter that much. Would you help remind us of that right now? And that's what I want to say to you today is it's just a car. It's just a house. It's just a shirt. It's just a phone. 
Nothing wrong with any of those things. I own all four of those myself. But they're not eternal. They may matter a lot to us right now, but they may not matter so much in the future. But see, that's the problem. Every day we spend money on things that ultimately are not going to last. Every day we worry, we get stressed about things that are not going to last. How many of us have a debt or a loan or a payment and it keeps you up at night? Jesus says there is a better way. In fact, look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew 6. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, he says, store up treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves wherever your treasure is, he says, there your heart and thoughts will be also. So Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth, but store them up in heaven. Now, I think we all know what it means to store something up. It means to set it aside, put it away so that you can access it later. But what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Because there's no bank of heaven that I'm aware of. I don't even know if there's money in heaven. So what does Jesus mean when he says you should store up your treasures in heaven? I think what he means is if you will use a portion of your earthly treasure, what God has given to you, and you will invest that in something that's eternal, like people and their eternal life, then you will be making an investment in your own future. That's smart, by the way. If you talk to any financial planner and you say, hey, should I just spend all my money now and worry about tomorrow later? Or should I save up some of my money for the future? Every financial advisor is going to go, oh, you got to save. You've got to invest. But here's my question. Why would we stop at death? If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we believe that if you put your faith in him, you will have eternal life and live forever then why don't we ask the question, after I die, how will I wish that I would have spent my money? After I die, what will have made the biggest difference? My two oldest sons are really into basketball shoes right now. They're collecting them and trying to sell them and all these kinds of things. And so they've been researching the latest vintage Jordans, Allen Iverson Reeboks, the latest Kobe, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant Nikes. It's even gone so far as they've asked me for a shoe room. They want a whole room in our house to display their shoes. Apparently there's going to be shelving and lights shining on these shoes. When they asked me about this, my answer was, no. We have kids sharing bedrooms, and you want to take a whole room in the house and dedicate it to your shoes? But here's the reason why I'm not going to go out and buy multiple pairs of expensive basketball shoes for them. It's because their feet are still growing. I would spend all of that money, and pretty soon I'd go, oh, we can't really wear these anymore. They've grown out of them. They're not the only ones. One day, you're going to grow out of your house. Doesn't seem like that right now, but someday you're going to go, I, I can't take care of this place anymore. And we're going to have to move into a one-level townhouse or an assisted living facility. You're going to grow out of your house. You're going to grow out of your car. It's going to rust out. 
It's going to get too many miles on it and break down. You're going to grow out of it. You're going to grow out of your technology. It's going to become outdated. With that in mind, does it make a whole lot of sense to take all of your earthly money and to spend it on things that ultimately are not going to last? You're going to grow out of those before you know it. In fact, look at what Jesus says just a few verses later. He says, and why worry about your clothes? Don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who chase after these things? He says, your heavenly father already knows your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Now, if you've been around church or if you've read the Bible, you've probably heard the verse, don't store up treasures here on earth, but store them up in heaven. You've also probably heard the verse, don't worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about your food or your clothing and that kind of thing. But did you know that they're in the same chapter of the Bible? That Jesus spoke those two things in the same message, the same sermon that he was giving to people. In other words, Jesus is making a startling connection here. What he's saying is, if you will invest, if you will give to something that's eternal, then you will actually have less and worry and stress about things that are not eternal. But if you spend all your money on things that aren't going to last, that they're treasures here on earth alone, you will have more worry and stress about those things in your life. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Several years ago, my wife bought a new couch for our family. It was a white couch. Previously, we had a couch that was kind of worn down. It was stained a little bit. We didn't care if the kids ate over by it. But all of a sudden, we got this white couch, and it changed our entire life. All of a sudden, it was, you can't eat over there. Wash your hands. Get your feet down. What are you doing? I had to put blankets over the whole couch. Couldn't even see the couch. Just had blankets on it just so I could have some peace in my life. Finally, it got so bad that my oldest son, who was just eight years old at the time, finally just blurted out one day, he goes, this couch is ruining my life. <laughs> and I felt the same way. <laughs> Amazing how you start to spend more on the things of this earth, and all of a sudden, you have more worry and stress about the things of this earth. That's why Jesus said, don't store up your treasures here. Store up your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed in any way. And isn't that what all of us want? Don't all of us want to make an investment in our own future? Don't all of us want less worry and stress in our life? And wouldn't every person here say, I really do want to make a difference? I really do want to help another person in my life. Jesus says there's a way that you can do all three of those things, and it's by giving. It's by taking a portion of your paycheck, a portion of what God's given to you, and give it back to God's work in this world. Let me give you three reasons why I'm going to urge all of us to take a portion of what God gives us and give it back to God's work in this world. Here's the first reason. It shows that God is first in your life. So Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth, store them up in heaven. But then look at what he says next. He says, no one can serve two masters. 
For he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be a fan of the Vikings and the Packers. You can't. If you ask my mother-in-law, who's your favorite football team? She'll say, the Vikings. If you say, who's your second favorite football team? She'll say, the Packers. I say, you don't understand, do you? You cannot cheer for both of those two teams. You cannot cheer for the Gophers and the Hawkeyes. You cannot. You cannot cheer for the Twins and the Yankees. You are obligated to cheer against the Yankees all throughout the rest of this postseason, okay? I, I, that's not just for me. That might be from God. For every person here, you are obligated to do that. Who's God's main rival? Who's God's main competition? Jesus makes it very clear that God's main competition is our money. But the word that Jesus uses here in the Aramaic in which he would have spoken it was the word mammon. And mammon isn't just money. Because money in and of itself is morally neutral. We all need money. We all want money. We all use money. There's nothing wrong with that. But mammon is a love of money. It's a love of money that's never quite satisfied in people. And Jesus says that is God's main competition. In fact, look at what Jesus says a few verses later. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be also. Notice the order here. Jesus says, your treasure, your money is going to dictate where your heart and your thoughts go. Now we tend to think it's the opposite. We tend to think whatever's in my heart, whatever I'm passionate about, that's what I'm going to want to spend my money on. But Jesus says, actually, your money has the power to dictate where your heart and thoughts go. It's kind of like this little prop that I had our team make up. If you imagine a chain between your heart and your money, and wherever you spend your money, that's where your heart begins to follow. And some of you go, I don't know if that's true. I actually think it's the other way around. I think it's your heart dictates where your money goes. Let me try to prove to you that what Jesus says is most of the time correct when your money dictates your heart. You ever bought a stock before? Invested in a company? Unless you were tracking that stock prior to buying it, you probably didn't check it all that often. But now all of a sudden you bought stock in that company and now you're on your app every day seeing how that stock did. You drive by the company headquarters and you go, oh, I own stock in that company. All of a sudden, what happened? Your heart dictated where your thoughts, or your money dictated where your heart and thoughts went. You bought a new F-150. You drove off the lot. You love that truck. What happened? You got on the freeway. You start noticing F-150s everywhere. You never saw them before, but now all of a sudden, your money dictated where your thoughts and heart went. It's one of the reasons why teenagers don't like to watch HGTV. Now, maybe you're a teenager and you're like, oh, I love to watch HGTV. That's a little abnormal, okay? But <laughs> most teenagers do not like to watch HGTV. Why? Because they've never spent money on a house before. But all of a sudden, those teenagers will go off to college. They'll meet somebody. They'll get married. They'll get their first house. 
And they'll look at each other one weekend and they'll go, what should we do? And one of them will go, let's go to the parade of homes. And the other one will be like, that sounds fantastic. And they'll go to the parade of homes and they'll look at each other and go, what happened to us? Three years ago, we never would have done this. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Your money dictated your heart and your thoughts. With that in mind, if you wanted to love God more, if you wanted God to have more of your heart, what should you do? Well, you should give to the things of God. Because then your heart and your thoughts will begin to follow. Proverbs 3.9 says it this way. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your harvest. The harvest was whatever they were bringing in. For us today, it's our, our income, whatever we have that's coming in. He says, honor the Lord with the first of your harvest. And then your barns will be filled with plenty. You see, God's not up in heaven going, man, you know, if you guys got anything left over at the end of the month after you've spent it all on yourself, if you just had a little bit for me, I, I sure would appreciate that. God doesn't need our money. He's not going, you know, I'm up here in heaven building streets of gold and we're a little behind budget, okay? I need everybody to chip in something. God doesn't need our money. But here's what God wants. God wants your heart. And God understands that your heart is going to follow your treasure. So God says, I want you to demonstrate to me that I am first in your life by giving me the first part of what you earn. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, well, how much of the first part do I, should I give to God? And the Bible gives the starting point at 10%. That's not the end point. You can certainly do more than 10%, but the starting point is 10%. To which some of you go, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, that seems like a lot of money to me. If you were to sit down with your budget and take 10% right off the top and give that to God, some of you might go, well, I don't know if we could actually do that. But notice what the verse says again. And I want you to consider trusting this promise. He says, if you honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your harvest, what's going to happen? Then your barns are going to be filled with plenty. In other words, if you would honor God with the first of what you earn, you're always going to have more than enough. That somehow in your life, God is going to supernaturally provide you with what you need. And there's going to be a door of blessing that's going to open in your life. The Bible has a word for this 10%, and the word is tithe. It literally means a tenth. And a tithe was something that was returned to God first. Here's a definition of what a tithe is. It's returning to God what belongs to God. I've taught on a tithe before, and as I got to this message, I thought, you know, I need to come up with something creative and innovative and new, some way that I could teach this to people that they would understand, and, and I had nothing. So I went to my friend Pax, and I said, Pax, I need you to teach people what the tithe is and what it's not in a way that they can understand. And he said, I am all over it. Take a look. Today, we're going to talk about tithing. It's a simple tactic that everyone says understand. Grandma loves her money, but I'm only four. What the thing? 
So I'm going to teach you this lesson using donuts. They tell me donuts are monies. My dad they do donuts. I want to eat one They're not my donuts. They're dog donuts. Since I have 10 donuts, I want the first donut. Just the first, not the last. If you don't do it the first donut, you might forget. The tar payment. That'll pay for your house. But I have to like me. And I like toys. Before I take any bites, well, next time. I'm going to dot my first donut. Back to you, Jason. If you work at a talent agency that gets kids for commercials, I'm telling you, Pax is your guy, right? He is a free agent on the market. Uh, but Pax is right. If you have $10 or $10,000 or ten thousands of dollars what a tithe is is saying, God, I'm going to give to you first, the first 10%. Before I spend anything on myself, before I forget, I'm not giving you the leftovers. I'm going to give to you first. See, here's what a tithe is not. A tithe is not, I'm going to eat all the donuts and then, you know, wipe the chocolate from my face and go, oh, well, here, God. That's not a tithe. That's a leftover. That's a tip. A tithe is also not the same as charity. Some people think, okay, I'm going to give 10% of my income to God, so I'll give a portion of it to the church. I'll give a portion of it to my alma mater. I'll give a portion of it to my friends GoFundMe and some other causes that I believe in. And all of those are good things, but all of those that I mention are examples of charity. Those are examples of giving that is above and beyond the tithe. Because in the Bible, the tithe would go to the church. It would go to the organization that God had established on earth that he was going to work through to reach people. Now, some of you are like, well, isn't that convenient? Because you work at a church, and you're on staff at a church, and now you're telling me that the money's got to go to the church. But here's what you need to know. Our church does not operate like that. Our staff salaries are set by the board, which is elected by our church congregation, and our salaries do not go up if giving goes up. So it's not like if we have a good month giving, Bob comes into the staff meeting doing the chicken dance, and he's like, you know, shelling out money to everybody. I mean, I wouldn't mind watching that, but that, that's not actually what happens. Our salaries don't go up or down. If we get more money, here's what we do. We do more ministry. We get to help more people. In fact, if you look at our church and you go, you know what, I don't really trust you guys for whatever reason, then I would say give your tithe to another church. Hopefully it's a church that believes that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation and a biblical church, but you would give it to another church. Because it's not about our church, it's about our hearts. God says, I'm going to give you life and breath. I'm going to give you the ability to earn an income. And I want you to demonstrate to me that I'm first in your life. Not just first in this part of your life and that part of your life, but first in every area of your life. My wife and I have tithed for over 20 years. We have always taken 10% or more than 10% and given that back to our church, and we will always do that. Because we believe that God wants our first and our best. We believe that God rewards our first and our best. 
And we believe that God deserves our first and our best. Here's the second reason to give a portion of what you make back to the work of God. It's this. If you don't use it, use your money for good, you're going to lose it. In 1992, there was a group of college students from Concordia University up in Moorhead. And they traveled to Israel on a trip and they were in the city of Caesarea, which is right next to Jerusalem. And they were on an archaeological dig when one of the students made a startling discovery. He found a box that had 99 gold coins in it. And they dated these gold coins back to the year 30 AD when Jesus was walking on earth. Can you imagine being some guy who's got 99 gold coins in the year 30 AD, which was pretty much a fortune back then. And he puts it in a little box and he shoves it underneath his bed and he goes, tomorrow. tomorrow. I'm not getting last year's model. I'm getting this year's model. I'm not renting. I'm not leasing. I am pulling the trigger. I'm going to get me a brand new donkey. And that donkey is going to be the lowest riding donkey in all of Jerusalem. And I'm going to be rolling down the street in my donkey. And it's going to have hooves that have spinners. You know, they're spinning this way. Whoa, no, now they're spinning that way. And then the next day he died. And his 99 gold coins have sat under his bed for thousands of years. Even if he had gone and bought the donkey, the donkey would be long gone. It just illustrates what Jesus was trying to tell us when he said, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. When John D. Rockefeller died, one of the wealthiest men who's ever lived, they asked his accountant, they said, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? Without missing a beat, the accountant said, all of it. You don't get to take anything with you when you die. Doesn't mean it's wrong to spend money on the things of this earth, but it at least should remind us that the goal of life is not to end up with the most stuff. Because you can have a full garage you can have a full basement, you can have a full storage unit, and still have an empty heart. Look what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. When your kids were born, did they come out of the womb with a housewarming gift? Did they have a renter's check already filled out, you know, just ready to give to you? No. Little leeches. They... They brought nothing to contribute to your family whatsoever, did they? They brought nothing into this world, and here's the truth. When you leave, you will bring nothing with you, but the good news is that you can send it ahead. And that leads to the third point of why to give a portion of what you make back to God, and it's this. You will make a real difference. You ever been watching a movie before, and you're like, I know how this is going to end. You know, you're watching the movie Black Panther, and you're like, the bad guy Killmonger seems way stronger. He seems way tougher. He, but the movie's not called Killmonger. It's called Black Panther, so you know how the thing's going to end. One author calls this play the movie forward. 
And I've taught on this many times, but I believe it applies so well to our finances. Jesus says, you know how the movie's going to end. You didn't bring anything with you into this world. You're not going to take anything with you when you go. But the good news is you can send it ahead. Jesus says you can store up treasures in heaven. Now, what are those treasures in heaven? Jesus doesn't really tell us. At another point in the Bible, Jesus mentions that he's preparing a home for us. One translation says a mansion. Maybe that's the treasure. Maybe the treasure is what Paul refers to in the New Testament when he talks about crowns. He says, I have a crown of righteousness. Maybe it's a recognition or a crown in heaven. Or maybe it's just the joy of knowing that you made a difference in somebody else's life. Can you imagine being in heaven one day and someone comes up to you and they say, you know, I, we've never met before. But I grew up in a really rough home. My dad left our family when I wasn't even a year old. And my mom was a single parent trying to work two jobs. And when I was in middle school, I started to hang with the wrong crowd. I was experimenting with drugs and crime. And then one day, one of my friends invited me to this thing called Ground Zero. It was a junior high ministry at Eaglebrook Church, and I went. And I heard about Jesus Christ and a difference that a relationship with him can make. And how God can forgive me and make me a new creation. And that God is a father to the fatherless. And I gave my life to Christ, and it's never been the same. And I, I just thought you should know. Can you imagine running into someone in heaven and they say, you know, we, we've never met, but when I was 42 years old, I lost my job. And I started to drink heavily. I was just trying to numb the pain and forget about it, but at some point it started to control me and master me, and I became addicted. And I tried several different treatment centers, and nothing was working, and I got invited to this thing called Quest 180. And it was an addiction recovery ministry at Eaglebrook Church. And the people there, they held me accountable and they loved me and they told me about Jesus. And it was one of the things that helped me get clean and sober. And I know you gave to that church. And I, I just thought you should know that without you, Quest 180 wouldn't have existed. And then you run into a woman who lived in a village in Nepal, and you run into an orphan from Nicaragua, and you run into a woman who was trying to escape an abusive relationship at the dwelling place in Minneapolis. And they say, you know, you may not have even known this, but when you gave to your church, they were giving to our organizations, and I was the benefit of that. And I just want you to know that those things wouldn't have existed without your generosity. Thank you. I want to challenge each of us today to prayerfully consider giving the first part, the first 10% back to the work of God in this world. Somebody did that for you. You're sitting in a seat right now that was paid for by someone else and it wasn't always a major donor. Sometimes it was a high school student, a college student, a single parent who said, I want the joy of knowing that I got to make a difference in someone else's life. I want to experience the blessing that comes when we put God first in every area of our life. And so we do this thing around here for the last couple of years called the 90-day challenge. 
And the 90-day challenge, here's how it works. If, if you say, you know what, I'm not currently tithing. I'm not currently giving 10% back to the work of God through my local church. But I want to start putting God first. And if you want to start to tithe, we'll say do it for 90 days. And at the end of those 90 days, if you go, big mistake, we will give you your money back. And that's not a gimmick. It's just a way for us to help you to get started. And I'll tell you, I've taught on this for several years, and every year throughout the year, I will get at least six to 12 emails from people going, man, let me tell you, I had put God in first in this area of my life, in this area of my life, but when I put him first in my finances, let me tell you what happened. And they have a story about God's provision or a blessing or a door that God opened up in their life, and I want that for every one of you. As you leave today, we're going to give you this little card just as a reminder, and it just says, take the 90-day challenge, and then there's a website on here that you go to to sign up. And I would ask each of you to prayerfully consider, how can I put God first in every area of my life? Let's close in prayer together. Lord, thank you so much for every person here today. God, I thank you for how you've provided for us in so many areas of our life. And God, I think every person here wants to be generous, wants to make a difference. And so God, I, I thank you that you can take our resources and you can multiply them and use them to impact other people and help other people in a very real way. God, I pray for our church that we're good stewards of the money. I pray for each and every one of us who attend this church that we would prayerfully consider what is the best use of the money that you've given to us? What is the way we could use that in the best possible way to give you the greatest glory and honor? God, if there's anybody here today who feels like they're just running so low in any area of their life, God, I pray that you would provide for them, that you would bless them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front at your campus. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.